Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. And we are back with an all-new episode of Keep It. I'm Alan Madison third. I am still in the South. Oh, that's what's going on. I, I will charter a plane right fucking now to pick you up so you will stop doing that. <laughs> we need to remove you from that environment. <laughs> I have to stay down here for Big Daddy's birthday party, Aida. Oh, my goodness. People love it when we go off into a Tennessee Williams discussion. And this time... <laughs> The faded Southern Belle uh, with the paper lanterns overhead. That's Ira. Mm-hmm. I'm Louis Fertel. I'm from Chicago, and my accent will reflect that. <laughs> I'm Aida Osman, and I would love to go to a good cotillion. So <laughs> if you got something, you got something planned, Ira. Maybe, maybe I should, I should bring the plane and land and stay. Let me tell you, once I get to the cotillion, all the secrets will be revealed. Okay, yeah. I don't know what's happening (laughs) anymore. (laughs) It does feel like Tennessee Williams is very ripe for a biopic, though, because he literally did talk like that. Just when you watch a biopic, you want somebody to have a strong, strange accent. That's how you get the Oscar. Mm -hmm. So, you know, Truman Capote, et cetera. Baird Rustin's biopic is being written by Dustin Lance Black, inexplicably. So... Maybe I should do the Tennessee Williams one. Oh, I see. Um, James Adomian, who has recently appeared on Kimmel, where I work, playing Mike Lindell. He's just a genius LA comic who's around everywhere. Would do the perfect Tennessee Williams accent. So if it if it ever comes to casting this damn thing, James Adomian is my pick. Look him up. Okay. Well, I'm going to cast a black woman as Tennessee Williams, Lewis. Okay. Killing <laughs> roles. Okay. Okay. For black women. This is Viola Davis's role to lose. How can you look at Amanda Stenberg and not think Tennessee Williams? What's wrong with you? The hate I give. To yes, colorblind they, casting. Exactly, yep. yes. exactly. You will rue this day. <laughs> ha ha. I've been waiting right here for the milkman to stop, Troy. <laughs> oh, wow. He doesn't come here anymore. He doesn't come here anymore, Troy. That is a deep fences slash the milk train doesn't stop here anymore yeah. reference. Wow. That is Dorkenstein up in here. Yeah. That is Viola in Tennessee. <laughs> The biopic that I'm going to write. (laughs) Soon to be two-time Oscar winner Viola Davis. I'm going to vote yes, but we'll get into that. Mm. Yeah, you know. That's adventurous. It'll be her Iron Lady. Yeah, I think that is kind (laughs) of true. The production design on that movie does feel like Toontown or something. It feels like uh, downtown Disney. (laughs) But they'll get, at least they'll get best makeup or costumes or something. What is it? What's Mm -hmm. our favorite quote? Oh, yes, nice gowns. Yeah. Nice gowns. <laughs> I want to shout out Iron Lady, by the way, as being a movie without fail. When someone I know who has not seen it is like, oh, I should watch it. You know, like, I love Meryl Streep. Like, I, it, she, she won for it. Like, it, I, it should be iconic. Without fail, they come back and they're like, damn, I should not have done that. Uh, right. Okay. <laughs> it is definitely the worst movie she was ever nominated for. Definitely her number one worst movie she was ever nominated for. 
Okay, I'll remain in this like delusion, Ben. That's fine. I'll stay over here on this mm. side. On this side, we, mm. we love Meryl still. Well, that will never go away. We love her. Oh, yeah. But sometimes she does wrong. Mm-hmm. It's also like not the right movie about Margaret Thatcher. Like it's all about the Alzheimer's and skims through the rest of her life. Like the focus is all wrong. I'm going to go out on a limb and say that I don't think we've had a good Margaret Thatcher representation. I know a lot of people were <laughs> gagging over... Jillian Anderson, but I want to <laughs> go out on a limb and say that was fun camp, yes. but I do not think that was Margaret Thatcher. As much as it's fun to say the real Margaret Thatcher was 75% Dracula, <laughs> um, <laughs> it's just not true, and her impression is inaccurate in that way. Okay. Maybe the best representation was Johnny Depp in Dark Shadows. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You heard it here, ladies. If Tom Hooper is free, see if he wants to make this movie. Yeah. Yes. Tom Hooper, please direct. (laughs) Tennessee. I'm going to get that shit on the blacklist by the end of the year. Girl. (laughs) I will will bet. (laughs) They should actually do a full horror movie about Margaret Thatcher called The Thatchery. Mm. You know. (laughs) That'll be your thing to do, Lewis. Okay, now I have an assignment. Competing biopics, me doing Tennessee, you doing Margaret Thatcher. And then oh. whoever wins... See you at the Oscars, Deus. I, I think we all lose. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> it's literally like Truman Capote when there were the two competing biopics about him, Capote and Infamous. I actually truly do hope a day comes where Lewis and I have a... Betty versus Joan Oscars <laughs> race. I, I, oh, no, I agree. As, and like competing quotes to the press and stuff, and I'm calling you a liar or whatever. Yeah, that sounds great. Mm-hmm. But also, yeah. I think we've confirmed here on this podcast that Lewis does not want to write a full screenplay. <laughs> have, we, have we talked about that? No, I just want to, <laughs> No I, desire. When, when I finish the tweet, the thought ends and I'm done writing. I move away from the computer. I've moved on to a snack. In and out one ear, l- large hissing noise, it's- steam <laughs> just emitting from all holes. <laughs> It still counts if it's if it's story by Louis Vertel. Oh, yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He'll he'll give a story by credit. Then he'll be like, I ain't writing that. No, <laughs> I'll punch up the jokes. <laughs> it's like mood board by Louis Vertel. <laughs> yeah, me sticking a finger in the air and be like, What if Margaret Thatcher did this? And then I left the room. That that counts. General yeah. ideation by Louis Vertel. <laughs> mm. <laughs> All right. Well, speaking of delusion, sure. Today we are going to talk about. One of my favorite messy celebrities and a new messy celebrity has entered the ring. First off, Demi Lovato. Again. Is, At it again. Is, is, is feuding with a frozen yogurt shop. And, and you will not be shocked to learn that Jamila Jamila is somehow involved. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yeah. Well, <laughs> is it about um, people's bodies? Absolutely. And, okay. Absolutely. Well, then, then we're uh, aware. <laughs> the second is Colton Underwood, the former bachelor turned gay celebrity turned Gus Kentworthy's gal pal. Yes. <laughs> uh, I so miss the phrase gal pal. I so miss, <laughs> like... When Sandra Bernhardt and Madonna were called gal pals in 1988 or whatever, I so miss that era of tabloidization. Yes, Colton Underwood, not related to Blair. Let's just put it that mm. way. Oh, okay. Or Carrie. No. Okay. Oh well, you might actually mistake that. That's a good point. Okay, okay. She will shatter every window until any relation is blown away. Okay? <laughs> <laughs> 
Plus, we'll be chatting with one of my absolute favorite writers, Bolu Babalola, about her new book, Love in Color. And I promise I will not be doing this accent while I'm talking to her because I respect her too much. <laughs> Pick a region and stay in it, girl. I'm John Smith, okay? I'm British in the South. <laughs> Where's oh, Pocahontas? Where's Cat Stacks? Just called the UN. They're not impressed. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we'll be right back with more Keep It. Right now, Senate Democrats have the power to stop the wave of voter suppression laws sweeping the country by passing the For the People Act. But first, they have to come together and eliminate the filibuster. To do your part and end the filibuster, head over to votesaveamerica.com slash for the people and use our new whip count to find out where your senator stands. If they're on the fence, give them a call using our call tool or stand outside Manchin's house and yell at him. <laughs> Together, we can unbreak the Senate and save our democracy. Check out votesaveamerica.com slash for the people today. I'm not joking about yelling at Manchin. If you see him in the streets... It should be on site. Start squawking. We're recording this on 420. You know, celebrating weed today. And it's only fitting that um, we discuss Demi Lovato, who is California sober. Right. As she has announced. (laughs) Which means she just gets high all the time instead of mixing Molly, Perk, heroin, whatever she was talking about in her documentary that sounded like, I would like to try it. Good Lord. What's wrong with it? <laughs> Not the takeaway you were supposed to get. Not the one. <laughs> you mean it wasn't a how-to? No, right. Yes. No. It, was, it, it wasn't a good time for dummies book. Yeah. Okay. Well, it looked glamorous. Okay. So it looked like you were on the set of Dynasty while she was talking about the addiction. But anyway, getting back to the news, I'm assuming Demi Lovato was high off her fucking mind smoking some weed because this weekend she got into a feud with a frozen yogurt store in Los Angeles. Yeah, sometimes when I get high, I like to fight businesses as well. I understand. (laughs) I understand the inclination. I'll just be outside the Jiffy Loop screaming. I get it. (laughs) Also, that that a second yogurt chain would be highlighted after the Meghan Markle Humphrey yogurt situation a couple of months ago. <laughs> We're really oh putting like, these locales on the map. What is happening? Oh, my God. <laughs> Treat yourself. So, Demetria Devon took to her Instagram stories to call out the potentially harmful packaging and branding that promotes toxic diet culture at a local Los Angeles frozen yogurt shop called the big chill, two G's. Which is the actual grievance I have. Why are you spelling, what is the purpose and how does it add to your yogurt narrative? Like yogurt has one G, but carry on, carry on. Is Like if it's Jason Big's store. I'm going to say, or you're confusing the store with Glenn Close's 1983 Oscar nomination, yes. Imagine you show up You show up to see Glenn Close and all you get is a caramel custard. I'd be mad too. Okay, yeah. <laughs> honey. You're in my head honey, now. Honey, I yeah. thought... <laughs> Honey, I thought we were going to go see that movie about the boomers. (laughs) This is frozen yogurt. (laughs) 
it is not 1983. <laughs> what? Uh, and then that woman is Martha Wayne, and she's shot and killed in an alley, and Batman's created. Mm-hmm. Right, 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 right. Look at the places you'd be taking it to. Like. <laughs> Listen, I'm recording this much later than y'all because I am in North Carolina and I'm drunk. Nigga, don't act like you in Africa. It's noon for you. (laughs) (laughs) Irregardless, uh, the Big Chill has sugar-free and guilt-free labels um, for some of their cookies and yogurt, etc. And she called them out for what she believes is triggering signs for individuals who struggle with disordered eating. Um, The Instagram stories are now deleted, but um, you know I screenshotted them. (laughs) You are a journalist after all. Yeah, added it to your Demi Lovato folder that I'm sure you have. Thank you. Yeah. Um, Ronan Farrell, watch out. (laughs) (laughs) Her first post was, Finding it extremely hard to order Froyo from at the Big Chill official when you have to walk past tons of sugar-free cookies slash other diet foods before you get to the counter. Do better, please. Hashtag diet culture vultures. Okay. Now, well, that, that is so confusing. Yeah. So it's the existence <laughs> of cookies that aren't as sugary at all. It'd be one thing if she just said, the phrase guilt-free is LOL bad because you can't not bake whatever German pangs of guilt into <laughs> cookies. There's something psychologically about the phrase guilt free that is like stupid, but she seems to say something about the spatial situation within the store and other cookies in relation to you as you walk to the counter. That's what the problem is, which feels very feng shui adjacent. Yeah, Lewis, it's a related mm-hmm. rates problem in a calculus class. It's not actually <laughs> yeah. a real issue. I think the, the thing though is that. I'm mad that she's trying to start a movement, the hashtag diet culture vultures, and it makes no sense. Right. That phrase. Because her next post, so I think I'm going to have to make that hashtag a thing. I will be calling harmful messaging from brands or companies that perpetuate a society that not only enables but praises disordered eating. Hashtag diet culture vultures. God. Girl, we got to take hashtags away off people's keyboards. That's what we got to do. <laughs> I am hashtag stressed, not blessed. <laughs> overall, <laughs> overall, I agree with Demi Lovato. And I, I, I regret to inform myself about that. But I really do agree with her. I think that there are definitely places where we could be changing the language that we use around food like this. Like as someone who has dealt with restricting and binge eating and issues with deciding what's okay and not okay to put into my body, it would be kind if companies started taking into consideration the deep psychological effects of their branding. Absolutely. What I would say is that Demi was correct, but she'd be arguing wrong. Yes. Because if she (laughs) Ironically, it's the packaging. Right. (laughs) (laughs) If she had a comment about how things like guilt-free and placing these things everywhere um, can, you know, bolster disordered eating, cool. More power to you. The problem here is that she walked into a local frozen yogurt shop in Los Angeles and decided to at them and pick a fight with them. And you've also already made disordered eating part of your brand because Mm -hmm. we know you have a television show pilot, uh, a comedy pilot coming out about eating disorders. Mm -hmm. Uh, So that in addition to um, all the documentaries about sobriety, like this is her brand now, right? But walking into a store 
an independent yogurt shop and like tagging them and knowing that your um vigilant followers are going to start like adding them uh, and attacking them is mm-hmm. irresponsible. Yeah. And then when the store responds to her, we are not diet vultures. We cater to all of our customers' needs for the past 36 years. We're sorry you found this offensive. Instead of explaining to them, she responded, not just that, your service was terrible. So rude. The whole experience was triggering and awful. You can carry things for other people while also caring for another percentage of your customers who struggle daily just to even step foot in your store. You can find a way to provide an inviting environment for all people with different needs, including eating disorders, one of the deadliest mental illnesses, only second to opioid overdoses. Don't make excuses, just do better. And she screenshot that exchange and wrote, since y'all want to keep this going, at the Big Chill official. Now, see, there was some, like, valuable information there, like the lethalness of eating disorders, etc. But it's like she had this preconceived uh, rant or idea or concept in mind and then had to project it somewhere and chose this random restaurant, yeah. which, by the way, did not invent any of the terminology they are using. In fact, it's probably standard for, you know, a yogurt shop to use all of the terms that they're using on their food. Well, so that's my problem. It's like, why did you pick this random yogurt shop to start abusing online. Like, mm-hmm. is is she up in Gelson's um, puncturing bottles of Coke Zero? <laughs> I, 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 like, I just want the logic here. What made you snap here when this is a thing? You live in Los Angeles, Demi. This is in every store. Mm-hmm. So right. what made you decide to attack an independent frozen yogurt store and then also, like, screenshot your exchange with them? Which is the wild part for me. And it's going back to what we've talked about before, the sort of like irresponsibility that comes with celebrity. You are a celebrity. Right. Demi Lovato. Mm-hmm. Um, you haven't released any bops in a minute, but we, we, we do remember when we did Stan. And if I'm looking at Demi's Instagram, you have... A 102 million followers. Go ahead, Latin audience. Go ahead, crossover audience. <laughs> Jesus Christ. 100, blasting to 102 million people that like this frozen yogurt shop in Los Angeles is evil is incredibly wild. Yeah, that's a shame. We've just crossed over into like indignant, like villainous territory. Like there's so many ways to get this addressed and for us to want to be in the conversation and bolstering what you're saying without being evil about it. It's very Karen behavior. Uh, You have a grievance and you decided to make your personal grievance like involve everybody and also take down a business rather than be like, hey, this wording is wrong in a lot of stores. Mm -hmm. Speaking of wording and maligning things, what is wrong with vultures? Guys, they don't make up the rules. They are large birds that look like Jeremy Irons, and they come and they have to eat the fucking garbage. I believe they are helping us. They are frightening looking, and I love them. They are both dignified and hair-raising. And I think some birds should not just be beautiful. So I'm standing up for the culture of vultures. 
um, and that their diets, <laughs> which are they did not choose. I would love to thank Bindi Irwin for coming to join our podcast. <laughs> I appreciate you and this brief telecast. My three-inch um, khaki shorts. Yeah. Delighted Here's to my, see. My big complaint with the demi shit is like, girl, go to a pink berry. Go to a yogurt land. Girl, go to a, uh, go to a, what are they, red mango. Go somewhere, girl. What are you doing at like a small local store that is probably struggling and makes a fraction of what you make in a year being a pop star like this is it's unfair like, it's very very unfair right you just throwing Ariana Grande on tracks and now you want to fight with a yogurt shop it's inconceivable <sighs> it makes no sense it's truly inconceivable also listen um just like when you open up what to expect when you're expecting and you know it ends with you know a baby <laughs> <laughs> That's why you get that book. They explain that to you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yes. Listen, Jamila is basically like the what to expect when you're expecting of talking about diet culture online, okay? You knew that she was going to enter the ring. Yep. Tag team back again. (laughs) (laughs) She did like a bunch of Instagram posts and one of the quotes is unless you are also constantly trying to help and advocate for other people I don't think it's a great move of character to pile onto those who do is your criticism constructive or are you just clowning someone what's your actual objective the irony in telling people not to pile onto Demi Lovato after she just piled onto an independent yoga shop in Los Angeles with her followers is, where is the logic? <laughs> Honestly, Jamila belongs on Legendary because every time she does something, I'm like, this is legendary nonsense. <laughs> Go ahead, Queen, give us the nonsense. Yeah. <laughs> Go, girl, give us nonsense. <laughs> I don't know if this is me trying to preserve the love I have for James Blake and um, The Good Place, but... Child. <laughs> I don't mind when Jamila goes after celebrities. I truly don't. I'm just like, I no. love when she goes after the Kardashians. Yeah, but also, if we're on the side of Demi Lovato, what are you doing? And, Jamila, and I'm also on that side with Jamila. I'm just saying... Yeah, James mm. Blake, text me after this so we could talk. Because Wait, this was Jamila defending Demi, though. I thought that she's going after Demi Lovato. No, for she going was after defending Demi Lovato. Okay, run defending, it all back. Defending Demi <laughs> from being attacked by people. Run it all back. Run it all back. Run it all back. Are you back. sure you're not high? Like a young brown. No. <laughs> <laughs> wow, wow, wow. Well, Jamila, I, I came to defend you, and then, and then <laughs> clarifications were made, so... Yikes. Also, by the way, she could have just said, all right, Demi had a couple of good points. They were misdirected. But instead, she had this whole mm-hmm. like lecture to people about responding to her at all with any criticism. And it's like, okay, if you're going to create a 102 million strong army against a yogurt shop, I think you should be able to withstand <laughs> some harsh words. A million moms. Yeah, right. <laughs> Yeah, 102 million moms for real. <laughs> so here's, here's the other thing, too. It's like, this is another woman who has made sort of this her brand, yes? Mm-hmm. And the way that Jambila always responds to people with how they should, like, understand where she's coming from before they just attack her and clown her and make jokes, right? Then you should also, like, put some common sense into the things that you're attacking. That's all I have to say. You know, this is a problem, could have been dealt with very differently. And I still question what made Demi snap on this day at a yogurt shop 
because she does live in Los Angeles, and I know this is not the first time her ass is seen sugar-free, guilt-free, somewhere, anywhere, yeah. okay? Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, the Wrigley Gum Company really escaped uh, unscathed <laughs> this week. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, whoo! <laughs> As they pump aspartame into their gum, they're like, oh, thank God. No one's yeah. looking. <laughs> <sighs> anyway, speaking of indignance, uh, let's also talk about Colton Underwood. Uh, uh, somebody <laughs> whose name we have definitely never said out loud until uh, this week. Even never though I think heard. We, once upon a time we did have Billy Eichner on the show and discussed him. And I don't know if we really directly got into maybe he's gay, but... That was as closest to a real conversation as anyone has had about this person. The joke was always that everyone assumed Colton Underwood, um, the sentient rock formation who was on The Bachelorette and then joined The Bachelor as The Bachelor. He, listen, he seemed to be doing gay activities with gay tendencies, okay? <laughs> and now we know that gays are his friends and gays are his enemies. Um <laughs> Billy Eichner made a joke on the show about how, like, because the whole thing about him on the show was that he was a virgin. Mm-hmm. Right, right. And Billy Eichner made a joke, like, maybe you're a virgin because you're gay and you just haven't come out yet. <laughs> <laughs> and that went viral. Uh, recently, as in this was this happened three years ago and it went viral recently, yes. Yeah, so we joked about that on the show when Billy Eichner came on mm-hmm. um, to chat with us and... Now it turns out he is gay because he came out to Robin Roberts on Good Morning America, which we got a lot to talk about. Um, so I'm going to um, curb the conversation I want to have in a future episode about how I need Robin Roberts to stop being the one-stop shop for mess. <laughs> <laughs> let, let, the, let the good sis do some other interviews on Good Morning America, okay? Though there was some irony and fun in... She asks Colton, is there anything you'd like to say? And then he says, I'm gay. And the look on her face says, is that it, bitch? Like, (laughs) (laughs) you think I'm shocked? I'm Robin Roberts. Have you had sex yet? (laughs) That's what we want to know. Check, please. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It was immediately announced after that Netflix is producing a reality show with Colton about his life as an out gay boring person. And (laughs) he's going to have a gay guide guiding him through this journey. A Sherpa. First of all, they stole this show format from me and Wanda Sykes. We're developing Diking Around, and I just can't (laughs) believe this has been taken from underneath my lesbian feet. Do you know how much I need that in my life, Aida? That'd be so fun. Maybe maybe we'll actually get that figured out. Also, Dyke is a verb. I Thank you for reteaching me that. It is. To Dyke. (laughs) Yeah. It's also a damn. There you are. Anyway, <laughs> um, that gay guy, that Sherpa, that Kiernan Sherpa is <laughs> Gus Kentworthy. Now, okay, like Mm-mm. I don't, I don't, I don't dislike Gus Kentworthy. Seems like a perfectly normal whatever <laughs> Olympian. Um, that said, if we're gonna go with an Olympian, at least go with Adam Rippon because he's gonna bring you the jokes, and yeah. he's also gonna bring you like exactly some, some like I feel like hard truths about like feminization in gay culture and mm-hmm. um you know just like mm-hmm. I, I don't know he ha- he has a more kind of um casually academic demeanor about him and and is yeah. just more fun more of a personality so something is a little strange about that speaking to that i really do agree with like if you're going to be the gay guide everything about this show is showing me like you're giving us another white gay man who looks like this white gay man mm-hmm. and i was I'd like 
you know what I really liked about I Am Kate, even if I don't like Caitlyn Jenner? I was going to bring up It was that a show. lot of different trans women on the show challenging her beliefs about what it means to be a trans woman, uh, particularly trans women of color. And I'm just sort of like, a show like this is, seems like it is designed to appeal to straight white women who watch The Bachelor and The Bachelorette and um, gay men with low self-esteem. Yeah. Uh, who look up to these two and, you know, think that, like, their struggles mirror their struggles, you know? Like, the whole thing about The Bachelor Bachelorette is about projection. You project your, like, emotions onto these people. And that is the only thing that makes sense when it comes out that Colton had a restraining order against him for stalking his ex, who we met on the show, putting a tracking device in her car, like, standing outside of her parents' house where she was staying, um, sending her crazy texts and the family texts, like, at 2 a.m. Like, if you are a gay man and you get on the internet and you say... We all know how dark it was, you know, um, being in the closet. We've all had suicidal thoughts. You know, like, we need to show him some empathy. I don't need to show empathy to somebody who was stalking a woman. No. Like, last year, okay? Like, and we all don't stalk people when we're in the closet. Also, specifically the language of coming out can be destabilizing, triggering, traumatizing. All those words definitely apply to being stalked. So stop, <laughs> stop pretending like, yeah, stop pretending you're having a serious conversation about that when the way he papered over all that being like, I made quote unquote bad choices. Oh, uh, you made mm-hmm. deranged choices. So it's nothing yeah. like there was a slip of the tongue once and you know, oops, there's a tracking device on her car. Like it doesn't work that way. Also, as proven by this podcast, there's a very tenuous relationship between women and gay men. Okay. So <laughs> <laughs> you need to be careful. I mean, I just, I, I also don't appreciate that this, this new show is going to give like a quiet young white gay boy in Wisconsin this very narrow understanding and view of what his future could look like. Mm-hmm. Okay, I just I, I would love to see maybe like a Jeremy O'Harris, a Billy Porter, anyone else on this television show. And it doesn't have to necessarily be the like, oh, and here comes the black gay to enlighten this young white man. But we just provide, like we were talking about, like provide different points of view. Mm-hmm. And I would say that's where a lot of the criticism from the show is coming from. He went on Good Morning America, talked about the bad choices he made um, and like how bad he felt about himself while coming out. Meanwhile, he stalked a woman, which is deranged. And then he comes out as gay. And while people are trying to point out that coming out as gay doesn't give you free reign to abuse women, there's nothing but white gay men online like papering over this, you know, by by trying to connect it to their own personal struggles and, you know, basically absolve this man of this. Mm -hmm. And then come pound it with the fact that he's now going to have a Netflix reality show about being gay where his gay guide is going to be Gus Kentworthy. It's like, so you're not only ignoring the fact that this man's an abuser, you are now putting him in this like light where it's like this is an ideal of a gay man and he's being gay guided by another gay man with similar looks to him and a maybe similar trajectory. So it's like, what message are we sending here? Mm -hmm. And that's why I brought up the I am Kate thing because I'm like, I'm sorry. I feel like anything that like Gus is telling him about like being a gay man in America on this show (laughs) needs to be challenged by people who aren't cis white Olympian men. Yeah. Well, because Gus's gay experience in America is very different from an experience of being gay in America. Unless the show is um, 
how to be a gay celebrity. Sure, right. Put <laughs> yeah. some parameters on it. No, I, I also would say the logline of this show makes him seem like, you know, innocent, a naive, whatever. And I think that's particularly annoying given the stalking allegations, the, the stalking story. Mm-hmm. Like, that just feels gross. I also just think in general, obviously you can't judge the entire reality show just by the logline. Like, who knows how good it'll be, honestly. But Well, it's on Netflix. There we are. Okay, okay. so the, cir- <laughs> the circle at best, all right. <laughs> it won't be selling Sunset. But I think also <laughs> gay men in particular, certainly someone who's like my age, who's been out forever, someone like Ira, we're also just suspicious of shows that are like, quote unquote, about queer people, but aren't literally for us. Like, is there anything mm-hmm. in this show for people like us? Or is it yet another like concession to straight people to make us seem like more like palatable and like innocent and like gay culture is a little weird and we all need to take a step in. There is nothing fucking mm-hmm. abnormal about being gay. Nothing. So yeah. this, mm-hmm. this story of like, somebody just needs to like sidle up to him and tell him like, it's all going to be okay. It's like, just fucking live your life. Just fucking do it. And also, by the way, I don't have any qualms about you fitting in with other gay men when you are like the picture of like what like gay porn looks like. So, mm-hmm. you know. Right. And I'm really sick of the people who came out with the, um, here we go again, gay men can't support one another. Here we go tearing down another gay man um, for, you know, sharing his truth with us. His truth is that he's a stalker, okay? Okay? Call the bitch Kolchak because he was night stalking. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's like we want, like, killer material. I I want to watch, like, uh, you know, reality shows that are, like, all queer people are just queer people, you know. Mm-hmm. And I want it to be an intramural sport, the idea of uh, gays on reality TV. Yeah. But like, this just feels too. I think we're also very suspicious of shows that are too fucking cute. Like, gay men are not cute with one another. And this feels like it's another, like. It's very Black Mirror. Uh, oh, isn't it adorable that they're friends? Yeah. yeah. I hate calling things Black Mirror, but like, you can't get more Black Mirror than like an attractive white gay man coming out being revealed that he, like, derangedly stalked a woman had a restraining order against him and then you're like oh it's okay we've given him a reality show now and he's hanging out with Gus Kentworthy and we're just gonna pretend none of that happened right 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 I feel like I'm taking some crazy pills here <laughs> you know <laughs> <laughs> uh, cause like I feel like no one's talking about it and he won't talk about it so we're just gonna ignore it follow up interview Robin Roberts yeah bring down the hammer <laughs> He's going to come on, keep it. Uh, no, I'm sure the offer's <laughs> out. Yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway, to wrap up, um, I do want to just point out again how like underrated I Am Kate was just in that yeah. respect. It, it was a show that wasn't necessarily for us or for trans women, um, obviously, because it's about Caitlyn Jenner from the Kardashian clan is trying to get that audience in. But it, the producers were also smart enough to know that we need to challenge these norms and challenge Caitlyn's norms as well at her core. And I would, I'm perfectly fine with a messy reality show about white people. Like I watch Summer House mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and most of Bravo. But goddamn, it would be nice if a show like this wasn't just being packaged for um, the Bachelorette audience and not for queer people um, and like was challenging any sort of norms about what it means to be a cis white gay man in America. I mean, God damn, at this point, RuPaul's Drag Race isn't even made for us really anymore, but it still does that every fucking week. Right. It's very casually intersectional. I will pay each of you 25 bucks anytime Colton Underwood or Gus Cunworthy teach me anything about being gay, though. So offers on the table. Mm. You guys, my, make, 
who know, if you know let's <laughs> Gus may read the Velvet Rage soon and God knows maybe I'll I'll pick up some pointers from him who knows they're trying to switch off a new drug from ketamine maybe they know one <laughs> you and the drug usage this this episode yeah Jesus Christ good lord it's 420 we get it Timothy fucking Leary oh my god <laughs> it's called comedy i.e. duh okay speaking of everybody tune in to the first gay season of The Bachelor <laughs> unless you really mean it when you say you want to uh Gargle Kumail Nanjiani. Yo, I thought we were past that. I'm trying to rebuild my relationship with Emily as we speak, and you're just sabotaging that. You're triggering me and calling me a drug user. <laughs> oh, but for, I think the come down from ketamine is really, really hard. So maybe we should go to meth, Ira. Go down. Mm, down. Yes. Yes, okay. girl. <laughs> meth girl summer. <laughs> W-H-E-W. <laughs> we'll be right back. Let's get it trending. (laughs) Keep It is brought to you by Barefoot Dreams. Lewis? Yes? When you see Footprints in the Sand, that was when I carried you in my Barefoot Dreams rub. Now... Is that a Leona Lewis song? <laughs> no? Uh, if you want to bring coziness into your life, you turn to Barefoot Dreams, especially now as the brand is celebrating their 30th anniversary. With those 30 years of coziness, Barefoot Dreams celebrates being the originators of everyone's favorite luxe home blanket. And while many have attempted to duplicate their blankets, robes, and more, Barefoot Dreams' fabrication and quality cannot be replicated, so don't believe the dupes. Girl, this blanket is it. I effing love this blanket. I'm thinking about it right now, and I want to jump in my bed, which is sponsored by something that we'll do another ad for momentarily. Get ready. There's a reason why Barefoot Dreams has been on Oprah's favorite things list six times. Jesus, get a life, Oprah. My God. (laughs) Dressing head to toe in Barefoot Dreams is the key to comfort as their collection of ultra-soft robes, loungewear, and accessories are made with premium materials. Their products make the perfect gifts, too. Uh, I throw this thing on. I wear it like a shawl. I look exactly like Ellen Burstyn. And <laughs> I am the coziest a human being can be. Because by the way, it's still that time in Los Angeles where it's like pretty mild outside and then your apartment is cold. I can't explain mm. it. I don't know things like basic science. For Keep It listeners, you can get 15% off your first purchase at barefootdreams.com with the code KEEPIT15. Don't miss out on Barefoot Dreams soft, soothing fabrics that will bring luxury to your life. <laughs> Our guest today is a writer and lover of love. Uh, she's also truly one of the funniest fucking people on the internet. Um, and we're going to get oh. into that. But her new book, Love in Color, Mythical Tales from Around the World, retold, retells mythology's greatest romances. So please welcome Bolu Babalola to keep it finally Hi, finally, right? I'm so excited. Yeah. I've dreamt of I'm... this day, Ira. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I want to give people uh, a little, like, keep it trivia tidbit once, too. Um, one okay. time um, when I was, it was when I did, like, the, the London episode that was just me and you, Lewis. Mm-hmm. We had a guest co-host for that week who got sick. 
and I desperately tried to get Bolu on the show um, to be the guest co-host that week, and that would have been iconic, but now you're here. You've made it two years later. Two years later, we made it. As you know, there's a right time for everything. I was (laughs) cooking then. I was marinating, and now I'm ready. (laughs) You were busy dating Michael B. Jordan. I was busy in a very intense intense relationship. Exactly. (laughs) Uh, Before we even talk about your book, I want to point out that you were one of the funniest people that I followed on Twitter when I still had an account. We miss you, Ira. (laughs) Thank you. you. You're not supposed to encourage him, though, so be careful with that. <laughs> I constantly am seeing your tweets now, too, like, regrammed on Instagram, so, like, the whole world knows that you're hilarious now. Um, but I feel like one of my first introductions to you was when you were, like, doing your, like, I'm dating Michael B. Jordan thing on the internet. I and I want to know, like, how wild were, like, the responses that you were getting from people who were like who either one thought it was real two kept like accusing you of being like a liar like and couldn't tell that you were like making a joke and then what was it like actually meeting him it was such a it was the whole thing was very wild like I tweeted it at like 2 a.m it was so silly like my friend photoshopped us together as a joke like months before. And I saw that viral meme of that girl looking for like, like months before. And I saw that in the, and she sent it to the group chat. And everyone had a good laugh then. And then I saw that viral meme of that girl who like was looking for a long lost friend that she met on a cruise. And I was like, haha, I'm going to spoof this. Thought it would get like 20 likes. <laughs> like honestly, it was so stupid. <laughs> We're in crazy viral. But yeah, the responses are really what kind of shook me because people are like, that's obviously photoshopped. You didn't date Michael B. Jordan. And I was like, well, duh. But also, I'm going to have so much fun with this. Because I'm just like, no. Why are you accusing me of lying about the love of my life? I would never do that. And people kept on, oh, and it just kept on getting deeper and deeper. Then people were like taking the picture and then circling the bit where they thought it was photoshopped. And I was like, I don't see anything. I don't know what you're talking about. It was very wild. And yeah, it happened to be the week before the Creed 2 premiere in London. Mm-hmm. And I was going to go anywhere anyway because I was invited as like in a journalistic capacity. <laughs> then as I was going in, I was seeing my friends and they're like, you know, you have to like in the Q&A section, like you have to like stand up and be like, you are the girl that made you go viral. And I was like, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. But as I was like. I couldn't even focus on the film because in the film I was like, am I going to do this though? <laughs> and like, I my whole stomach was not, and like, not. You're like, this is doable. Yeah. <laughs> like, this is doable. Like, maybe I should. And I just wasn't focusing on the film like at all. Like, I couldn't tell. I watched it a second time, but I couldn't tell you the plot of the film because I was very like anxious. So, like, I have to do this. I'm going to let my friends down if I don't do this. It's going to be like a group chat, group chat fodder for the ages. <laughs> So yeah, at the end, I did it. I got up and said, like, hi, I am, like, the love of your life. And, you know, he was very sweet about it, very game. He was like, well, we have to get a picture afterwards then, obviously. Um, <laughs> and we did. And he was so charming and so sweet about it. Tessa Thompson was hilarious as well because she was like, wait, did you just come here to steal my man? And I was like, yeah. <laughs> cool. At least there's an understanding. Yeah. Yeah. You need to turn that into, like, a fan fic that becomes a movie the way that, like, I know. ELD did with Twilight or that One Direction, like, fan fic <laughs> that's supposed to be, like, a movie. I know. <laughs> I know. I need to, I'm saving it for, like, a big, a big project. <laughs> now, we have to talk about this book, which is called Love and Color, in which you retell love stories and myth 
uh, through, I'll say, a contemporary lens. Now, you're like a gorgeous writer. Sometimes it feels like drunk history of myths almost, like what I'm going through with some yeah. of the jokes and references in it. Where did you even get the idea to retell these? And what do you think is the value of just myths, period? Yeah, I think that, so I was actually working on my first novel when I got approached by um, my editor for Loving Color, Katie Packer, and she was like, I want you to write something about the history of love. And I was like, well, no, because I'm busy and I don't have time for this. <laughs> <laughs> then I said, like, no, like three times. And then when I started to think about well, it no. and thinking about what I could, <laughs> could, could do with, the, with this kind of broad idea, I was like, actually, I can write about myths. And we, we know Cinderella and Snow White and everything, but we don't know all this cultural folklore from around the world. And I think that's deliberate. Like the world has such a rich history and so many tales. And I'm like, what are we saying about humanity if the only stories we hear or we see are from a certain area, certain geography? Mm-hmm. And that's particular um, pertinent when it comes to love and romance, when the only people we see in love and get to celebrate love are like mostly white people or straight white people and skinny white girls. Like, what are we saying about who deserves love? And love is such a humanizing thing force it almost falls dehumanizing so when I started thinking about what I could do with this it just started to kind of fall into shape but naturally like folklore and mythology they're ancient and ancient stuff are often very misogynistic and patriarchal (laughs) so um obviously (laughs) that was a thing I had to like deal with that extricate them from the patriarchy and the misogyny and um centering women and their desire Mm -hmm. um I love it because I feel like um, my brain has missed this part of me when I was younger where I, I specifically remember like in middle school, like in the summer, like a nerd, in the summer between classes, my, like my grandmother signed me up for like um, mythology classes at like the oh local college in Milwaukee. But it's like, yeah, we learn like Greek and Roman mythology and stuff. It's like you barely learn like a flash of like Egyptian mythology, right? Like yeah. you just learn about the Osiris story. Mm-hmm. Basically, Um, and there's so many myths around the world and it's it was so exciting, you know, to dive into this and to also be like, I felt like I was reading it the way that I like watch the crown. Like I'm reading it and then I'm like Googling like what is wait, what what is yeah, was that real what's real here? Yeah. mm -hmm. (laughs) No, I love that. Like that was my intent. And also I love that because people can see all the like the Easter eggs that I put in there because I felt Mm -hmm. so smart when I was writing this. Like (laughs) when I was writing the first story, Oshun, in the original story, Oshun, Oshun's a Yoruba story. So and I'm Yoruba, I'm Nigerian. And in the original Mm -hmm. story, like she cut off like her love enemies, I don't even her love rivals ear and then like when she tricked her love viral to cutting off her own ear and feeding it to the guy that they both liked but in my story Mm -hmm. I just kind of made it so she just plugged her ear with water forever I kind of just wanted to make a like a tribute to the original without making it so grotesque Mm -hmm. and violent you know but it was really fun to like build in these themes and these these original facets from the original story and um, make them my own. Uh, side note before Lewis gets to his question, you know when I first heard the word Yoruba? Yeah. It was as a kid, didn't even really By know way, it, That was like, a really, Yoruba. really great inflection. You said it so well. <laughs> oh. oh my God, thank, thank you. The first time I've done um, any pronunciation while on the show. Um, Amazing. But the first time was, uh, it, I guess the book came out in 91, but... You would obviously probably know the book Yoruba Girl Dancing. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah, that tr- truly, my grandmother had that like on her uh, nightstand 
in the 90s when I was a kid. And I remember I would see it every day. And one day I just took it and I read it. Uh, so I was oh, wow. immersed in Nigerian culture in like the early 90s in Milwaukee. Oh my gosh, I love that. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah, I really wanted people to like see what I was trying to do and then go and do their own research. Because the thing is, this is just a snapshot. You know, there's mm -hmm. the cultures are so rich and so deep that, you know, this is just like a tiny little glimpse into how rich they are. I was going to say, how much research did you have to do for this? Like, were you familiar with all of these tales ahead of time or did you get dramaturgical and have to discover a lot of these myths for yourself? Yeah, no, I I didn't know that many at all. <laughs> at all. <laughs> I barely knew the Yoruba ones, honestly. Like even the Yoruba ones, I did like a lot of research for that. So I kind of immersed myself in books, obviously, but also the internet, because the thing is, a lot of these stories come from oral traditions. So there are many versions of them. So I wanted to find different versions, compare them to each other, then educate like the things, the commonalities, the themes, and then see what I could do with them. But yeah, it was a very um, enriching journey. Like I could just spend like weeks and like even months just like immersed in these worlds. Because um, the thing is, like, for instance, just taking Nigeria on its own, and I'm Nigerian, I'm Yoruba, but that is only one ethnic group among hundreds. So even then, it's just the scope was just so wide. Um, so I had a really good time just learning about different cultures. But also what's really interesting is that um, I found so many similarities in themes. Like there's one story that I found in South Africa that was almost exactly the same as one that I found in Japan. And I think it really speaks to the crux of the book is the universality of love and connection, you know? Mm -hmm. Um. I want to ask you about that, too, um, writing about love and being a young, gorgeous woman. I need everyone to know that Bolu is gorgeous. Truly one of the <laughs> top you. ten most gorgeous people I follow on, on Instagram. Uh, oh, constantly wow. stunting. Uh, and I love it when you post a selfie. But anyway, um, <laughs> what's it like, you know, when we think about people writing about love, right? We constantly think of, like, um, you know, some, like, white woman writing a romance novel you know, with our cats around, uh, which is a misogynistic <laughs> way to view that. But that's been like the main <laughs> dominant image. And then like when you get into stuff where it's like Stacey Abrams, you find out she writes romance novels. And now mm. like this, like how does it feel to be a young woman writing about love in this current era? Like what does that yeah. do to your own psyche when you're like trying to experience love in the real world? I didn't realize it was weird until people were like asking me like, this question and I realized that like, people don't imagine somebody as like feminist and enlightened writing romance mm -hmm. right and I didn't realize that because that's just what I naturally am drawn to um but I think that's the cool thing about it because when I speak about romance for instance online so many people are like oh oh my gosh like you articulate something that I've been trying to articulate for so long or like I never thought about it this way and I almost feel valid to like share my love of romance and not feel like I'm dim or I'm not feminist or I'm weak or I'm like not very intellectually deep for liking romance I think it's really cool I think a lot of people like romance and don't want to admit it mm -hmm. or love love and don't want to admit it because they feel like it weakens them as a person or it, it makes them look kind of naive mm -hmm. I think writing this book actually reaffirmed my love of love and my love of romance because I got to explore it the dimensions of it mm -hmm. and really what it takes to even like somebody and the nuances of connection um, so yeah, I find I really enjoy it. I have a great time doing it. Where did you begin, like even uh, caring about the subject to 
delve into it? Like, uh, did you, growing up, were you obsessed with romance, et cetera? Yeah, like, I don't even remember, like, actively choosing it. It was just something that I was naturally drawn to. I was a wide, voracious reader, but the things I kept on coming back to were romances and things like, so friendship as well. Like, I love reading about friendship, but also just Mm -hmm. the connections and the celebration of connections and witty young women who kind of had sharp tongues, um, and the people who could match them. I loved reading that. And so, and they gave me joy as well. And they, and they were really funny. I liked funny stories as well. Um, so it was something that almost chose me as corny as that sounds, because mm-hmm. I love writing what I like to read. And so it just came about very naturally. Yeah, I feel like people don't even realize how much romance is like baked into like what we seek at our core, you know? I mean, like, yeah. I, you know, be like, I watch soap opera still, you know, but even in the midst of like all the drama or like you watch horror and stuff, you, you're looking for connection mm. between people. And we've been talking about the Oscars this episode too. And it's so interesting to me, like the films that like they used to call like, you know, the women's pictures, like the Cirques, like the films that they made like in mm-hmm. the 30s and 40s, right? Those were the films that were always nominated for, like, best picture or something. It was like, you know, like, maybe they were derided as women's pictures, but, like, actors and actresses would be in them, and they'd be, like, films that people were nominated for. And it's so interesting that we've done this shift away from, like, I just find it hard to imagine, like, a romantic drama now being nominated for best picture anymore the way that it used to be. That happens. You you get a marriage story, et cetera. Yes. uh It happens. But it needs to be something like a marriage story, right? It has to be a little bit traumatic. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> Celebrating struggle. What are the iconic for you rom-coms? Rom-coms, romantic dramas. Like, oh. what are the ones that, like, we don't talk about enough? Um, or which ones do you think that, like, people love too much? Okay, so obviously I love, like, My Best Friend's Wedding, When Harry Met Sally. I love Brown Sugar. Mm. I really love, and I think this will surprise people, Nick and Nora's Infinite Playlist. Oh, sure. Mm. Me, I love that movie too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I adore that movie. I think it's just so sweet. And it's like this instant connection that they have is with each other. And they see it growing to something. I adore. The reason I love My Best Friend's Wedding is because Jules and Michael are in love with each other. That's very clear. And they should be with each other. But they both let their ego and I think fear um, get in the way of that. And I think that speaks to a truism within love is that it's not enough. You have to actually take the step to be with each other and and the grace to allow mm. love in. And Michael is just terrified of being hurt again and he doesn't want to trust Jules. And Jules is now like scared of actually going forward and, and kind of breaking up this marriage that is so obviously wrong. Mm-hmm. I love that take. I love that movie, too. I love that take on it. And I think it's so interesting to think about the fact that um, there's so many rom-coms I feel like sort of like feel bad because it's just sort of like the two people who are the leads in it, you've decided like they're going to be together at the end of the movie. Yeah. You know where it's going. And it's interesting to think about My Best Friend's Wedding about people who obviously do love each other. You know that. But like everybody that loves each other in the real world isn't going to end up together because some people don't put in the work. Exactly. It's also a movie where you get to watch Julia Roberts commit computer crimes, which is awesome. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. (laughs) When Harry Met Sally also gets into the ambiguity of relationships, what I love about that movie is you don't know if it's a romance. Like, they do end up together, but they could have very well have not ended up together even though they have this amazing connection. I like when movies play with that 
unsure space of relationships more than they play with the definite probability that they'll get together. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And it would have been realistic for them not to end up together. And to be honest, like Harry is not my favorite male protagonist, weirdly, but I like their relationship. Mm-hmm. I like their friendship. And I also like that he's like, oh no, I've been an idiot at the end. Not a lot of men say that they admit that they're idiots. And I want to yeah. see that more. <laughs> but mostly I just love the friendship. Mm-hmm. And give us a rom-com that you are tired of people talking about. It's not a rom-com, but people say that it's a rom-com. Mm. I don't get why people like Love and Basketball so much. Like, honestly, <laughs> first of all, it annoys me when people say that it's a rom-com because it's just not. Mm-hmm. It's a drama. It's very much a drama. May I think it, maybe it's just me. I don't like physical exertions. I know she's like, that's her job. I'm like, you're going to play for a man's heart? <laughs> <laughs> I'll play for your heart. <laughs> like, What? <laughs> <laughs> I think I just it's not for me mm-hmm. I also really it's not a rom-com but I also just really love Love Jones just because I just have a, have a mm. special place in my heart for that movie just because of the friendship that surrounds that relationship and their like the respective like crew mm-hmm. I think that's glorious because I think in romance in real life our crew and our friends and our community are so much a part of it you know mm-hmm. like immediately we're sending pictures to the group chat we're getting roasted maybe but still it's part of the <laughs> process yeah i you know I, I love that on the love and basketball thing i enjoy it i would actually say more underrated my F- gina movie that i like more than that one is beyond the lights mm. i think that beyond oh the lights God, is yes, a very beyond good underrated romantic drama not rom-com but it's like such a beautiful love story uh it's and it should deserves story. as much shine as love and basketball gets i'm glad you yeah, brought up love jones because I prefer Love Jones to um, Poetic Justice and The Best Man, which I do not like either of those. But I love The Best Man Holiday oh my gosh. because The Best Man Holiday, the romance in that movie to me is um, between Tay Diggs and Morris Chestnut. It's about a friendship. Yes, it's about a friendship. You're right. Tay Diggs' character is kind of awful, actually. He is. <laughs> like, I'm writing this book about my friend. It's like, you suck. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's kind of terrible. And he's not a good partner to Sana Lathan. Do you know what I will say? My choice for an underrated, it's not a rom-com at all, but an underrated romance. And this goes into what you said about loving wit, because I think that's such a strong, fun force in a romance. Casino Royale. The scenes between Daniel Craig and Ooh. Eva Green, the sensuality, th- that makes it the most interesting part of the movie to me, even though you're obviously, there's lots of spectacular stunts and yeah. things going on. But like, what's happening between those two characters is so fun. And, and the, the lark of a romance paired with an actual literal adventure, I think is uh, pretty awesome. Yeah. And I actually really love like the, the atmosphere of sensuality as well. Like, even if they don't actually bang, I just love seeing the, like in... Uh, Again, my best friend's wedding, the scene where he takes the ring off from her finger um, with his teeth. I find it so hot, like hotter than if they actually kiss. Because mm-hmm. it's the tension, mm-hmm. it's the chemistry, it's the potential of something happening that's very, very sexy to me. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. I feel like that is why you can go either way on like Moonlight and whether or not you should have seen like them actually have sex in the film. Mm-hmm. But the hottest scene for me is the diner scene when that music is playing. And Andre yes. Holland is cooking for Travante. Right. Is this That's leading to something need. or is it static? Yeah. The ambiguity of it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's the intimacy there as well. Yeah. Ugh. Cooking for someone. Ugh. <laughs> Dreaming. <laughs> 
<laughs> truly, truly is that is the other language besides love, right? Cooking for yes. someone is like one of the most intimate things that you can do. Honestly, feed me, please. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Bolu, thank you so much for coming on Keep It. Uh, you know, I adore you. When I'm able to go to London again, um, this time we are going to hang out. Oh my God, please. I adore you too. It's absolutely mutual. I can't wait. Everyone needs to go read Love in Color. I've had it since the UK printing, but now it's I in mean, the US. Ira's a real one. Thank you so much. <laughs> like, honestly. Uh, stateside posers, yeah. I am Bolu Hive, okay? Like, I love it. <laughs> It means so much to me. Thank you so, so, so much. You're welcome. When it comes to scents, you should pick ones that smell like, well, you. Target gets it, which is why they offer a range of personal care products with fragrances for everyone. Be true to floral you with Dove Peony and Rose Body Wash. Live your fresh life with Degree Ultra Clear Deodorant. Express your decadent side with Love Beauty and Planet Coconut Shampoo. This spring, choose care that brings you joy beyond labels. Pick up new favorites at a Target near you or online at Target.com. Well, here I am once again reminding you that the Oscars exist and that I will be watching them. Though every year it gets harder and harder to convince people that this is still an existing award show that people should watch. I mean, it's just going to be so low rated this year and I feel bad, but it's just, Mm. you know, people have seen fewer movies in the pandemic, certainly have seen fewer prestige movies. And that is a shame because I love a lot of these nominees. I really think a lot of this stuff is fabulous, but it's time to make our predictions. Yes. So, um, and you know, that's one thing. Uh, can I tell you something? I'm actually routinely bad at making predictions because I'm too hopeful about what I want to win and I can't divorce myself from that. Uh, you let your personal, your personal things get in the way. Right. You know, I'm a Pollyanna. Mm. I just follow the BAFTAs and go. Yeah. <laughs> <That's what laughs> Keep I it do. simple. Yeah. You both have just described like my dating life. I just follow the BAFTAs and go. <laughs> I, you know, you know. I I totally understand. I totally understand. Okay, let's do Best Actor in a Supporting Role, and that's Sasha Baron Cohen in Trial of the Chicago 7, which will be performed in high school soon. That's my prediction. (laughs) Uh, Daniel Kaluuya in Judas and the Black Messiah, Lakeith Stanfield in Judas and the Black Messiah, Leslie Odom Jr., One Night in Miami, Paul Racy in Sound of Metal. Now, Paul Racy, to me, would be my favorite, but I think Daniel Kaluuya... Can, should win. He's got it sewed up. Obvious choice, I feel. Because, first of all, the sheer difference between this performance and Get Out, like, they have nothing in common. He has already set up, I would compare it to um, Jennifer Lawrence getting nominated for Silver Linings Playbook after Winter's Bone. Like, you would basically think those are two completely different people. Mm -hmm. You know, when people casually establish versatility and are super successful at two different things, I think that's a really good Oscar recipe. Mm. And... I'm very hopeful for him. Also, he's just so casually commanding. I have problems with the movie, but he is fabulous. He he did really establish versatility very quickly. He should be Colton's gay guy. Ah, <laughs> oh, here we go. Exactly. Exactly. I feel like my favorite thing about Daniel is that he can act with his posture. Like I have a very specific vignette mm. of him in the gymnasium with his shoulders hunched over, you know, just fully embodying Fred Hampton. And I was like, girl, 
run the best supporting actor right fucking now. Mm-hmm. Right now. Yeah, that's my prediction. That's my prediction. We're Very on the good. same page. All right, now, best supporting actress, which I think is the weirdest category because to me, everyone looks like they have a shot. Uh, we have Maria Bakalova in uh, Borat 2, Glenn Close in Hillbilly Elegy, LOL, LOL, Olivia Coleman in The Father, which, by the way, she is fabulous in, and nobody is talking about her performance. Moving right along. <laughs> Amanda Seyfried, I'm sorry, Amanda Seyfried, rhymes with rye bread, in Mank, <laughs> and Yajung Yoon in Minari. Now, if I was going purely on merit, I would probably go Yajung Yoon in Minari, because that's mm. like a, a fabulous- She ate it up. She yeah. did. She ate it up in a movie that, like, it's not one of my faves. I think it's like a cute movie. Oh, really? I feel like it falls just short of- excellent because it's a little quaint to me but it looks amazing and, and the direction is gets so much out of the individual performers really everybody is wonderful in the movie but here's the thing yeah. I don't make the rules True. Yeah. And if, I'm, <laughs> if, if I'm filling out a ballot I'm going Glenn Close I'm sorry I'm not, ah, I'm, not I, I'm not a Ron Howard sympathizer <laughs> but guys we have waited long enough and now I'm going to be sitting in front of that fucking TV watch Glenn not win again and I know we think it's okay because yeah. everybody else was wonderful in the category but guys we have held out long enough. I cannot wait till nominations 9 and 10. It just doesn't sit right on my soul. So you have to know that about me. You know what? I'm going to go with um, Ye Jung. You think she's going to win? I have to second that too. I, I, don't I, want, so. I don't want Minari to walk out of 2021 without an award. Mm-hmm. And I don't think it's going to get anywhere else. And I also don't want the disrespect Yes. Of Glenn Close winning for fucking Hillbilly Elegy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm there. J.D. Vance a JD Vance joint. Oh, he unfortunately is the worst. He, the, the the lesser JD after Power and Associates. <laughs> <laughs> Read JD Vance's Twitter, and you will quickly learn how much of a shame it is that Glenn Close is associated with him. Anyway, um, it doesn't get more repub and reactionary than that fucker. Okay, best actor in a leading role. I think another fabulous category: Riz Ahmed in Sound of Metal. Uh, our friend, uh, lovely interviewee, Chadwick Boseman in Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, Anthony Hopkins in The Father, Gary Oldman in Mank, and Steven Yeun in Minari. I'm almost positive this will be Chadwick Boseman. I want it to be Riz, actually. Oh. For me, it would be between Anthony Hopkins and Riz Ahmed. I think they're both amazing. Yeah. I, th- I mean, Hopkins won the BAFTA. I just feel like it's going to be, a- this is a complicated award mm-hmm. because of Bozeman's passing, of course, but I-, I can't imagine people not wanting to support him after his passing. So we'll we'll see, but... This is rough. I mean, yes. I oh, I would personally want Riz, but I think that Chadwick is going to win. That's my prediction. Mm. He did the most with the least. True. Mm. I don't think it was a great adaptation of the script, and I, I don't think it was directed that superbly. Right. Yes. Yeah. The camera was just sort of there, but he was acting his ass off. <laughs> so. uh-huh. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a fiery performance. Uh, okay, and now we'll move to Best Actress, which is another interesting um, zone. Viola Davis in Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, Andra Day in The United States versus Billie Holiday, Vanessa Kirby in Pieces of a Woman, Frances McDormand in Nomadland, and Carrie Mulligan in Promising Young Woman. Here's what complicates this for me. To me, Frances McDormand is the only one here in a great movie. Everybody else, it varies from like B minus to, in the case of that Andra Day movie, woof, a D minus maybe? I, it's, it's not cute. I mean, I, it's just a historical figure. They love, uh, the Oscars love a historical figure movie, but beyond that, I don't get Which the is Andra why they're going to love. Tennessee. Girl. <laughs> We're talking about real cinema. <laughs> um, I liked Promising Young Woman better than most of y'all. Um, but I would say that, wow, Francis again. 
it's between Francis or, or Miss Viola. Correct. The star, I think so. of, the star of Tennessee. <laughs> <laughs> Here you go in your shameless promo. None of these would shock me except for Vanessa Kirby. So I'm not even going right. to Um I'll go mm-hmm. Viola, but I, I really wouldn't be surprised if they gave it to any of these women. I'm going to go Viola. Though in my personal rankings, Vanessa would be the second best performance of these. If you watch that opening scene in Pieces of a Moment where she gives birth, I mean, I rarely watch one person go through it and it's an uninterrupted shot too. (laughs) So you're really like, it's like a live theater situation except bracing and Hmm. scary. It's it's so scary. And she really- What do you mean you don't watch someone go through it? You watch me record Keep It With You Guys every Tuesday. That's true. I always have faith you'll pull through that. (laughs) (laughs) But I endure every Tuesday morning. (laughs) You being real froggy this week. I'll and jump. I'm a jump. <laughs> My official prediction is Viola Davis. I think she's somebody that, regardless, will get two wins sometime in her life. May as well give it to her now. Lovely performance. Final monologue, fantastic. Boom. I do think Francis is the more historic performance because who can mix it up with real nomads the way she did and come off so Shut real? She's up. such a pro. No, I mean, the, the, they're non actors in it. You're right. No, you're right. You're mm. right. I just don't like the phrase real nomads. <laughs> you could you could sell that in the room to TLC, the real nomads. <laughs> you really could. Yeah. Um, before you get to the big ones, I do just want to say quickly, uh, I pr- pretty much think Borat's going to get best adapted screenplay. And original screenplay is probably going to be... Promising Young promising Woman. Young yeah, woman. Promising Young Re- Woman. Regardless yeah. of how you feel about the content of that movie, the gymnastics that Emerald Fennell accomplished to get me to like still love Carrie Mulligan and what was going on, I just I have to give that to her. Mm-hmm. But adapted screenplay, yeah. I was thinking Nomadland, but you know, I'll let that rest. I'll let it rest. Mm-hmm. Just for the innovation. Yeah. Best director... Is um on three, one Chloe. Two. Yeah, Chloe's out. One, on three, sorry. <laughs> one, two, three. We we fucked up the county, but it's Chloe Zhao. Yeah. Like Chloe there's Zhao. no way. Second place to Chloe Zhao. Honorable mention to Chloe Zhao. Just no one else is in the category. Bye. Okay, they're gonna pay bad bitch link up, and she's just gonna like <laughs> strut up there, get the award. All seven like, of her. We we didn't we didn't get to um, announce it yet. I know it's mine, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> NYU girls stand up. Best picture, I think. Um, Nomadland's Nomad got it. Nomadland as well. Got it, yeah, sewn up. I mean, you just never get a movie that's that visually stunning and yet such mm-hmm. a small character study, too. I really think that movie has levels to it that are just awesome. There's no movie like it either. Yeah. Yeah, it's so gorgeous. And it'll get best cinematography, too. And can I say, I watched The Writer for the first time. Amazing. Uh, recently. I don't like it. Oh, really? It's Chloe Zhao's other movie. Yeah, so I will say that it's, it's. I mean, that's what I love about art, you know? I love that you're constantly learning things uh, as you do stuff, right? And you can see the seeds of Nomadland in the writer. Um, but for me, directors who like to work with people who aren't actors, like, at some point the novelty wears off. And it works really well in Nomadland, but man, it does not work for me in writer. Oh, because, that's like, so aside interesting. From the main mm. guy, aside from the main guy, so many of the people in that movie, like, take me out of it. And there's a moment at the end of the writer where he um, talks about how, like, they shoot horses, you know, but like they don't shoot humans, you know, when they do this, right? And it's like he says it so seriously, like he's um, mm-hmm. Susan Lucci mm-hmm. on All My Children, like delivering <laughs> an important line. And for me, it felt like it should have been like such like a throwaway, which would have gave it so much more weight. And I'm like, an actor would have made like a meal out of that scene. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's it. 
Speaking of the writer, that's what your daddy calls me. Anyway, moving on. Also speaking of also speaking of, of daddy. <laughs> At least my daddy calls you because <laughs> he don't call me. E.T. phone home. Daddy phone home. <laughs> um, but but just to wrap that all together, speaking of daddies once again, I would love for Minari upset for best picture, but we're not gonna get that. Mm. But I would yeah. love for that. And of course, best animated is going to Soul. I we don't even need to say it, but I, I like to be right about yeah. things. So Yeah, Tina Fey, get that Oscar. Um <laughs> And listen, I, I, know I just want to wrap this up and say, like, I don't dislike Minari, but for me, it's a beautifully acted, beautifully directed film that I feel like the third act doesn't really take the script anywhere for me. Like the burning of the the burning of everything. I was like, I feel like I'm like watching an Arthur Miller play from 1954. <laughs> I was right, like, and specifically the like. They, oh, but the grandmother saved the seeds and they can rebuild using family. Like, it just felt very, like, <laughs> middle school short Color story. of friendship. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, Disney Channel original movie. Mm-hmm. The ending didn't really work for me, but everything else, like... It's, it's so beautifully directed, you expected more profundity movie. from the meaning of the movie. I think that's what I would say about that. But, okay, those are productions. Also, I still think it should have been a horror movie. Mm-hmm. Oscars 2021. See if Diane Warren gets a fucking Oscar. <laughs> oh, yeah. I am rooting for her. Get it, yeah. Diane. You wear that tux. <laughs> she, you know what? She and Glenn Close need to team up. Mm-hmm. Okay? Do a, do a musical track together. Mm-hmm. Diane Warren needs to write. No, you know what? I do not want Glenn Close to win. And I want them to finally make the Sunset Boulevard musical into a film and let Diane Warren write an original song for the movie with Andrew Lloyd Webber. And so Diane and Glenn can finally get their Oscars. Mm -hmm. How about that? And it's going to be called The Sun Will Never Set on Me by (laughs) Diane Warren. (laughs) (laughs) Beautiful sunsets. Right, sure. (laughs) Abandon Tennessee and fund this project, Ira. Period. Okay, I will. (laughs) Taking investors. And we're back with our favorite segment of the episode. It is Keep It. I'm going to go first since it is 420. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have a bit of a serious Keep It. You know, while I live in California, we live in California. Like, I love my weed. Oh, girl. You know, I and I were kikiing about how much we love Seth Rogen's new weed. You know, mm-hmm. cannabis is being legalized across America Ooh. now. You know, um, which is a thing to celebrate. But... In Illinois, you know, it's like three times the number of black people are arrested for marijuana-related offenses in Chicago, um, other than any other ethnicity still. And with legalization, you know, it's like white people make up like 4% of arrests, you know? And like Asian Pacific Islander and other make up 1% or less, you know? So like legalization, but for who? Mm -hmm. You got white people setting up boutique shops, Mm -hmm. and police are still like knocking down doors and arresting black people, you know? And it's all under that, like, fucking Ronald Reagan um, guy shit of, like, stopping these minor, like, offenses will lead to stopping, like, gang violence, which isn't true. We've had decades of knowing that that's not true, but we've also had decades of knowing that um, schools get shot up Mm -hmm. and nobody does anything about that either. Um, So I don't know what, like, the solution here is, um, but... Man, it's really fucked, you know? 
it's truly just wild seeing white people just like, I keep thinking about the, um, not just weeds, but like, I remember there was just like a flurry at one point of like shows about like plucky white women, like selling weed. And there's always shows about like white women getting high yeah. and stoner movies like that. Like we've shifted to that, but it's like, let's talk about like the justice here. What are you, you trying know? to say about that scene in It's Complicated? Don't be crazy. <laughs> Wonderful cinema. <laughs> Weeds is one of my favorite shows on television. Mm-hmm. Ugh, I do love me some Mary Louise. Is it? Yeah, 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 yeah. You gonna let Genji Cohen live? You gonna let Genji <laughs> every Cohen season? Live? Every goddamn season, all the way to every 15. season, even <laughs> even the Amsterdam season, mm-hmm. the season where she was married um, in Mexico. I love when white women perilously sell weed. That's my favorite thing. No danger in sight. <laughs> okay, well, I'm glad you love Penelope Pitstop, the TV show. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, my keep it. Uh, that was a very serious keep it, Ira. I don't mean to uh, pivot from it. Because Thank you. And I don't have any answers. <laughs> Even worse. <laughs> the honesty. I'm just mad. Wait, mine's also kind of about gang violence, so I might just wrap oh, go it ahead. in Lewis real quick. Okay, just to piggyback off of what you're saying, Ira, because we, we love a good piggyback. We love not having to have original thoughts. Um, <laughs> my keep it this week. My keep it this week goes to the white boys on TikTok. Those are my friends. Go ahead. Lewis, <laughs> <laughs> like, call me by my name, okay? Don't call me out my name. Um, (laughs) the boys who have just decided they are honorary crips and bloods in the way that they Mm. are dancing to coke raps I'm talking Pusha T West Side Gun Benny the Butcher and dancing like dancing the way you you see people dancing to Up by Cardi B Mm. giving us trigger fingers giving us guns pointed locked and loaded the Bentley band take it Ira 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 (laughs) (laughs) I wish you guys could see Ira doing the choreography the boom cacks they go see it on Snapchat oh god (laughs) oh god I Y'all gonna drag me for this one. <laughs> <laughs> Sit down. It's like a fi- it'll be like a Fidel named Lance who is pointing at the ice in his veins. Like, sir, no, you do not have ice in your veins. You have a chemistry test in a week. Like, it's just <laughs> so frustrating. They should not be allowed to be on TikTok. Hip hop has been a problematic space for a long time already, but I just don't like this promotion of gang violence through like white men from upper middle class areas. These white men in sweatpants, if they're going to be doing choreography, it should be by like Paula Abdul. That's <laughs> what I want to see. Yeah. I want to see the blazers and leotards um, and MC Scat Cat nearby. That's it. Yes. I don't need to see anything blazing on you. Know your strengths, girl. Wear a blazer, no blazing. Yes. Truly. If you're hot and white on TikTok and a man, just like... Delete. Pop that ass to City Girls, okay? <laughs> if, you, if you have to dance to rap... Do, give us some like Megan Thee Stallion. Turn me on. Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> and it's the extra frustrating stuff is like you know just as, as much as it's difficult to be in like a city that has grand opulence like in LA and then there's the homeless community like a, a mile away. These boys will be like LA boys in the hype house, and Compton is like five miles away. Mm-hmm. Like the stark contrast of it, and just I can't. I mean, look, I shouldn't be on that app anyway. It is. Where life goes to die, but... It's literally what I mean. Like, I feel like our mm-hmm. keep it is in the same fucking thing, you know? Yeah. It's like, there are people being arrested in our very own city, uh, and gang violence happen, and pro- police brutality uh, being administered on black people in the city, while, you know, like, white people are, like, smoking their blunts at brunch. Exactly. And making TikToks. Girl, oink, oink, I said I was piggybacking. I said I was. <laughs> I know. Well, I was just back... What what's piggybacking off a of piggybacking? <laughs> oh, mm. is that big bad wolfing? Mm. It's, it's it's piggy, but it has four G's. <laughs> You'll be huffing and puffing and blowing somebody's house down with all this piggybacking. Yeah. Whew. Oh yeah. <laughs>
<laughs> my keep it is so deeply unimportant. Uh, I apologize ahead of time. It's okay. But you know, it's another one in the tradition of the Uno game show we're allegedly getting, uh, where Lil Yachty, or as I now call him, Lil Yahtzee. Isn't that a is movie? Turn, turning it into a movie. But this oh is a game show based on... I can't explain it. The most critical game I've ever played, Guess Who? Mm. Guess Who? The game where you have 24 faces in front of you and you're guessing what your opponent's card is by asking questions like, does your person have brown hair or do they have glasses or do they have a weird butt chin? <laughs> um, we would get very creative when we played Guess Who. Is going to be a game show. <laughs> now, uh, for NBC, allegedly. Um, just keep it because I don't know how this could be a show at all. But we need to put more respect on guess who's name because the women of guess who mysteriously are like shaman in my life. I can't shake the memory of them. And Susan, Claire, Maria, and Anita, they they were like my best imaginary girlfriends when I was four years old and they all had different color hair. So they were kind of like power rangers to me. They're like power rangers for gay kids. I think the women of guess who is Lewis is what these bitches want. (laughs) (laughs) Just, just spend the women of guess who off into their own sex in the city. Like show. Don't come up with another game based on guess who there was Amelie, Isabel, Mirabelle, Christine, (laughs) <laughs> also, Lewis, you know every woman in every game ever. You might be Milton Bradley himself. Like That's I'm not true, right? impressed by this <laughs> new knowledge. I know you have it. I know it's deep in there. Um, but one request: if there are real people in this Guess Who adaptation, you got to have Christine Baranski play Susan, or <laughs> just use Cher from Mamma Mia, who also looks exactly like Susan in that role. And Susan will be singing Fernando. That's the rest <laughs> of my keep it. Is it a game show or a TV show? Game show. Game show. I assume it's just going to be with, like, celebrities. An unscripted adaptation of the classic game Guess Who. Anyway, it's been in the works with the producer of Lego Masters, too, so I assume it will be competitive in some way. Anyway, (laughs) don't mess with the legacy of Susan. Good keep it this week. Yeah. Protect Susan at all costs. Though I think you should adapt the Whitney Houston song My Name Is Not Susan into a game show. I think that would be fun. So watch what you say. (laughs) You know I love My Name Is Not Susan. (laughs) Wait, My Name Is Not Susan, that's from I'm Your Baby Tonight, right? I love that era of Whitney. Really poppy Whitney. Yeah. Yeah. Mm, Wait till the TikTok kids discover that. Mm -hmm. And then they start appropriating Susan culture. (laughs) Lewis, if I were to show up at your front door with a joint today, uh-huh. would it be Aida, please leave? Or would it be, come in, I'll try that? I will try it, though the worst drug experience I've ever had is with marijuana, where I like went to like another zone, like dimension, oh. and was like, because oh. I'm, shall you say, high strung. <laughs> and so you get the synapses firing in the wrong way, and well, I um, go off, if you will. Mm. Baby, he's Michelle Branch's guitar, okay? <laughs> <laughs> Goodbye to you. I'm in outer space. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, well, the offer was on the table. I am curious to know. You know what? Fuck it. I'm going to do it. All right, I'll see you soon. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you to Bolu for joining us. Uh, Hope everyone was high yesterday, unless you're white. (laughs) Stone Cold Sober here. Lewis doesn't count. Lewis doesn't count. He's mostly red. (laughs) Lewis is mostly red most of the time. I'm a pinkish man, yes. And thank you to the Webby Awards for nominating Keep It, an arts and culture podcast. We are up against Anthems versus The Cut and Oprah's Book Club. Let me tell you something, Oprah. 
You're going down. We'll see you next week. Keep It is a Crooked Media production. The show is produced by Caroline Reston and Brian Semmel is our associate producer. Our executive producer is Ira Madison III. I think I've heard of him. Our editor is Bill Lance and Kyle Seglin is our sound engineer. Thank you to our digital team, Matt DeGroote, Narm Melkonian, and Milo Kim for production support every week. Stay safe. Be blessed. God loves you. When it comes to scents, you should pick ones that smell like, well, you. Target gets it, which is why they offer a range of personal care products with fragrances for everyone. Be true to floral you with Dove Peony and Rose Body Wash. Live your fresh life with Degree Ultra Clear Deodorant. Express your decadent side with Love Beauty and Planet Coconut Shampoo. This spring, choose care that brings you joy beyond labels. Pick up new favorites at a Target near you or online at Target.com.